Welcome back to part two of what it is to be a risk taker or subtitled Courage to Change. Glad to see all of you here. I do think it's fun to have just the girls and I'm told that the men are titling their class being married to risk takers. <laughs> and I told Joe later, I said, well, that's probably true because we were taking a risk when we married them. So there you go. Uh, but there is a handout being passed around. If you didn't get it, there's some more up here or they're still circulating. And as I said, we'll start with a review and then we're going to jump in. So I would like to open with prayer. Father, we thank you again. We do not take for granted the freedom that you have given us to gather together and talk about your word, read your word, discuss your word, and take your word in without fear. That's an, um, that's an unusual gift, O oh Lord. Help us to still our hearts and minds now, to truly hear what it is that you want to say to each one of us, for you have a message for each person in this room today. And I pray that we would welcome in those thoughts and we would acknowledge what it is you are saying to us and we'd be willing to step out. I thank you for the story of Rahab. I thank that you have preserved it for us and given it to us. And I thank you for all that you teach us through her. Please speak today, O oh Lord. Get me out of the way. And you speak directly to each heart here. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, we are in Joshua, which is the book that comes immediately after the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So we're right there in Joshua. And I've told you this before, but it's the story of all the Hebrew people coming through the wilderness. This is after the Exodus when they have been rescued out of Egypt. And they are getting ready to cross over the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And if I'll never forget Heidi teaching this when she made the point of Moses got them up to the edge of the Jordan Moses couldn't get them across into the promised land. That was Joshua's job. And there's no coincidence there that Joshua is also another word for Jesus. And that is who actually takes us into the promised land. So in Joshua 1, you have the, the kind of preparation of Joshua getting the people ready to go in. And the Lord saying to Joshua, be strong, be courageous. And I mentioned that he has to tell Joshua that three or four times, which comforts me. That means Joshua probably wasn't. Then we find Rahab in chapter 2. And I'm not going to read it again. I read the whole thing two weeks ago. But the story basically is that Joshua tells two spies. He says, all right, he's on, he's on the west side of the Jordan. He's on the east side of the Jordan. He's re getting ready to cross over to the west to take a look. Correct me if I'm wrong on this. Thank you. I have, to, I have to turn. Turn around. So he says to the spies, go in, scope out the land, especially Jericho, and come back and give me a report. So the spies, two men, go to Jericho, and they enter the house of Rahab. And we are told, there's some dispute about this, but we are told that she was probably a prostitute, some scholars say innkeeper, but that's where they enter into the house and that's where they stay. And through the course of the conversation, I'm going to read you what she says because it's important for us. But basically, she, um, she hides them. She switches her allegiance to them. They end up leaving and going back to report to Joshua, yes, we can take Jericho. They're afraid of us. Then, then the rest of the story happens when Joshua actually brings in the troops 
you know the story. They walk around the walls, or if you don't know it, read it. It's a great story. But our focus today is on our sister Rahab, who I wish I had known, and I look forward to that I will one day. We will get to know her. But she, uh, so the, the outline, as you'll see, is designed around four, there's some handouts up there. If anybody didn't get them, there's another stack right there. There are four main points I want us to remember about becoming risk takers. The first is welcome, which is what Rahab did when that knock came on her door. And we talked a little bit about that two weeks ago. What it is to welcome in the unfamiliar, maybe it's a, and this is in terms of the call that God has on our life, but welcoming in a new thought, a challenge, a sense of that you may be called to do something a little different, welcoming that your hope and your prayers are being answered in unexpected ways. That happens a lot, sometimes unwanted ways if we're honest. So that's the welcome. It's unfamiliar. It comes to us. It's usually not part of our plan. It's unexpected. It is often, if it's God's call, it's going to be out of your comfort zone most of the time. And you will have to make a choice. Rahab did. She knew she was in trouble a little bit. The king of Jericho had heard these guys had come to her house. She had to make a choice. Who am I going to serve? Am I going to continue to serve the king of Jericho where I live? By the way, Jericho was considered the most protected city of its time. It had that illusion of security. Or am I going to switch to these men and their God? And she says, this is partly part of the key, beginning in verse 8, she hid the spies on the roof. By the way, her home was in the city wall, which is why she could do what she did. She goes up on the roof and she says to them, I know the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brother and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. You could just stop right there. Rahab recognized who was God in heaven and who was God on earth. You wonder if the Hebrews recognized it, even though they had experienced his deliverance. Sometimes that's an aside lesson in there, but sometimes we just need to be reminded from somebody on the outside of who our God is. So that's the switch. That's part B on your outline. She welcomed in. She made the choice to switch her allegiance. And we talked about this a little bit two weeks ago of when you are discerning that you may be called to do something that it might be slightly out of the ordinary or it might just be called to stay right where you are and continue on, it's helpful to ask yourself, who am I really serving here? Who is the king that I'm really serving? Who am I fearing right now? Switch. 
So it's an allegiance to a different king, and it helps to recognize who the king is. That's what Rahab did. The king in heaven, the king on earth. Uh, when you make your switch, you're going to be doing this in the face of and contrary to what people around you say. I'm sure the conventional wisdom in Jericho was, don't do that. And you're going to expect some opposition. We talked about how there are no guarantees of the outcome when you switch. This is something that's very important. When you, and I think probably most of us have at one point in time, made the commitment as Christians of this is whom we choose to follow, whom we choose to serve, and we, we acknowledge that he has come to redeem us. But still on a day-to-day basis, I can find that I will cave to other fears, other loyalties, and trying to please other gods. Um, when you uh, acknowledge that you're switching, you have to acknowledge the reality that it may be dangerous, it's going to be uncomfortable, could be discouraging. That's just the reality of it, ladies. I don't want to stand up here and tell you anything else. You are giving up your own control. In 1 Corinthians 6, you were bought with a price. You don't have control anyway. You're giving up the illusion of your own control. And that's what I made up this little anacronym with risk, R-I-S-K, because it is releasing or maybe even rejecting the security. We hang on to security. We seek that in some form or another. It is The good news is it's not there. Honestly, that is the good news because it is in the Lord. Your security, whether it's in finances, in relationships, in your education, in your own abilities, in Anything else may be good, but it's not going to be ultimate. Your ultimate security is only in knowing who your father is. You are his child. All right. Now, we're going to move on to the next two parts. Wait and go. All right. Think about Rahab. She has hid the spies. She has switched her allegiance. And she lets them down. Oh, this is the key. All right. I wanted to read this to you. In verse 21, uh, the spies say before that, um, you bring the people into the house, into your own house. When we enter the land, tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brother and all your family into your house, uh, that's how they're going to be saved. If anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head and we will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. And what Rahab said, Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So there we are right now. She's agreed with the plan. She has let him down out of the window at night with a, uh, some sort of rope. And she has tied this scarlet cord in the window. And that was so when they came back to conquer Jericho, they would know which window was Jericho, uh, Rahab's house. And they had told her, anybody that is in your place, we will not harm. Anyone who is behind that scarlet cord, we will not harm. If they're not behind the scarlet cord, you know, it's not going to be good for them. We cannot promise their life. 
And I mentioned to you two weeks ago the details of Scripture that can be such a delight. The scarlet cord is important. And I reminded you two weeks ago that these, the Hebrews had just, and the spies, had just celebrated the first Passover in 39 years. Probably right before this, Joshua had brought this back in. So they knew about the Passover. And that is where we're going to pick up with the scarlet cord. Because what is the connection there? Will you remember the story, let me find this, of the Passover? We have this. I'll read it to you. The scripture said, I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment, for I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This was the story of when the firstborn would be taken in the house of everyone who did not have the blood on the doorway. Are you guys with me in this? Most of you are. Okay. So that is the blood. It's the, it's what the scarlet cord also reflected. The sort of blood on the doorway. Now what happened in the Passover we know is that the firstborn was killed in every house that did not have the scarlet cord or the blood, excuse me, on the doorway. Does that mean it was a kind of free pass for those if you just put the blood on the door, then you dodged? Well, in a certain sense, but it was not free. It was the blood. Jesus Christ was actually the firstborn. We've talked about, don't want to lose you here, but we read the Old Testament through the lens of the cross and resurrection. So when we look back at stories, like Rahab and like the Passover, we read it with a different understanding. We know now that God sent his firstborn son to die for us. And that was the blood on the door. That is why we are redeemed. And that was then reminded again in the scarlet cord. But why, the reason we know that is in Leviticus, which is the book of the law, in chapter 14, Five different times it's referred to that there is a scarlet cord that is part of the purification and the cleansing. And it has to do with the shedding of blood and water. And I won't get into all of that right now. But I want you to just see that there are links all the way through. From the Passover, the sacrifice of Christ to save us. To the picture of the scarlet cord in Rahab's window. Think about what that meant to her. She had to wait in Jericho for probably weeks because the spies had to go back, had to tell Joshua, they had to be, they had to cross back over, all of these things to come in and take the land. She had the scarlet cord in her window as a sign that she and her people would be saved. Which brings me to the second thing we do. We may switch allegiance. We may say, Lord, I will follow your call in whatever it is you're asking me to do. But then nothing changes. We may still be sort of feeling like we're living in Jericho. We've made a decision, but there is a time of waiting. And that's part of God's plan. If you are in a time of waiting, Rahab needed that time to gather her people. Somehow, she had to get word out, we don't know the details, to her family to come into her house when the time was right. Now, all sorts of lessons in that. 
Imagine if you're Rahab's family and she wants to tell you that she's got a plan to save you. Not likely. So Rahab has an unlikely savior through these two men that knock on her door who are not the normal customers. And somehow in the course of that interaction, she realizes this is different. Rahab's brothers and sisters have an unlikely savior in Rahab saying, I've got a plan. Come to me. Be in my space. They, I love the picture of them being saved. They did nothing that we know of except for just go believe Rahab. And they were there. And they were rescued. So if you're in Jericho and you have made a decision, Lord, and I'm talking whether it's small things. For some of you it may be, as I said, having a tough conversation with somebody or having to take action in a way that you're a little frightened of what the outcome's going to be. Or it could be a bigger thing of finances or profession or a calling that just doesn't look like the normal thing women do. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. And I also said if, it doesn't, if it's not happening to you right now, it probably will tomorrow. And if it's not happening to you today or tomorrow, it is happening to one of your sisters in this room. And you are meant to be there for them. We cannot go through this alone. It's one of the reasons I'm excited about having a class with just ladies. We support each other in responding to God's call in our life. And I told you also, be very careful who you ask for advice. And you'll know in your gut. Do not ask somebody that you know up front is going to say you've lost your mind. Because there are plenty of those. And they will tell you that. Ask somebody who will say to you, Tell me why you think this is the Lord's call. And let me pray with you through that for real discernment. I'm sure the Advent House offers this sort of thing. You can ask Mary or Kathy Logue or any of these people that are involved at the Advent House. Or just a good girlfriend. So that is part of the waiting. That is the waiting. We have the blood of Jesus over us. We have it in our window, ladies. You are going, you are passed over in terms of judgment. There is a promise there. You will be saved. You are already saved. You've heard that when you hear people talk. It's the already and the not yet. You have been saved. You belong to him. I used to teach my children, you wake up in the morning, there are three things. Lord, I am your child and this is your day. You show me your way. That sort of sums it all up. So, you've been saved but yet you may be heading to the promised land eventually and you're waiting, but you may still be in Jericho. That is also heartbreaking in Jericho because there are people around us that do not know what is coming. So if you have the gift of evangelism, which I don't, but many of you probably do, that's the impetus right there, bringing people into into your space under the blood. With you? Got it? Okay. So... Um, the other thing this is about is restoration of family relationships. I love it that it was God provided for Rahab's family to go with her and for us and for the whole community to begin to be restored too. Now, that is the part about bringing others in. The second thing that you're going to experience in Jericho is that sense of, oh, My goodness, what have I done? (laughs) You will make a decision and you can 
expect the doubts to assail you almost right away. As you think, I have lost my mind. Why did I think I could do this? Or why did I think this was a good idea? You know that Rahab must have felt that way. Why? I will tell you that that is to be expected, but it is also one of the reasons God tells us to remember what he has done. I have a friend who's taught me to put RTD in the margin of my Bible or in my journal. Remember the deeds. And you go back. I I know of a young man who was getting married and he had already gotten, and I think every young man does this, when all the wedding hoopla starts to go on, they start to think, oh, what did I do? (laughs) And I said, go back and think about how you got to this decision. Think about the prayer you put into it. Think about that. And it was like, yes. So you remember the deeds. You go back and remember. This is what Rahab knew. And I read it to you. What did the Lord do? He had given this land. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. She knew because she would be in a position to hear all the news. What God had done. So when you step out in responding and in saying yes to God's call, do keep in mind exactly what got you to that decision. I'd encourage you to write it down because that will bolster you up on the way. You'll think, yes, I know. This is what God called me to do. I remember. So, remember the deeds. The red cord reminds you of what He has done. We do that today when we celebrate our liturgical calendar, our Holy Communion, all of those things. One of the things I was going to say about this notion of the firstborn is that we still get this in the South a little bit when you see sons named for their dads. It's that sort of thing of carrying on the family line. This is a little bit of a side, but it helps me understand. In those Near East culture, the firstborn was the source of everything, the ultimate um, carry forward. The firstborn got all the wealth. The firstborn got the name. The firstborn represented the family. So if the family uh, was in any way to be punished, it was usually the firstborn that took it. You can go back to Deuteronomy. If the firstborn was rebellious against the father, there's a rule in Deuteronomy the firstborn was to be stoned. Now, it didn't happen very often, but the the principle behind that is rebellion against the father would result in destruction. So that is why the firstborn... We as the first, I'm really off track here, but I think it's kind of fun. We as the firstborn are rebellious people. We don't want a relationship with our dad. We have said, with our heavenly dad, we said, thank you very much, but I'll take it from here. And that deserves punishment. So the firstborn did die for us. That was the punishment, but that was our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so we could be reconciled with our heavenly father. And we are. Okay, so we're waiting in Jericho. We are preparing. We do not know exactly what is next. Rahab didn't either. So think about where you are in this story. Are you Rahab? Are you her siblings? Are you doubtful? Are you in a position of hearing an unlikely call? There's a lot of wonder. There's fear. And there's certainly change. And then it comes. You begin to hear the trumpets outside the city walls, as Rahab did. It's the moment of going. They march around. She is in this time listening to all of this. The walls collapse. 
Joshua and his armies come in. Joshua has given instructions to these spies, go back and get Rahab and rescue her and all of her family. That specific redemption, go get her. She is taken out and it says that she is put outside the camp for a while with her family. That probably has to do with the whole ritual cleansing thing. But then she is, becomes part of the people. And I mentioned to you, well, before I get ahead of that, when you go, you, you follow the instructions that the Lord gives you. If you step out in faith, ladies, in a way that is unfamiliar, as I said two weeks ago, you will see his provision as never before. But you will need to follow step by step. And I'll skip ahead, but that is the, um, in Joshua 3. It's the verse at the bottom of your handout. These were instructions Joshua gave to his people, but Rahab would have certainly been part of it. When you see the Levitical priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your position and follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Okay, you can take that one home. The Ark of the Covenant was what had the law in it. It was the Ten Commandments. Hebrews, the writer in Hebrews 9 suggests to us that it also had manna and Aaron's staff. We don't really know. The scholars think there's probably reason to think that was true. But don't you love that? The Ark of the Covenant was the Word. What do we know about the Word? The Word was God. The Word was with God. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus is the Word. So we have the Word given to us. When you see it, follow it. We also, manna, I love manna, the concept of what is it. That's literally what it means. But it was the day-to-day provision of the bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. We have the living word, we have the bread, and then the shepherd's staff. I love that too. When you see those, follow it. When you sense in your life, this is where God is calling me to go, Follow it. You don't get out in front of it. You don't guess where it's going and decide you'll get there another way. It's a step-by-step following it. So, you follow the instructions. It's not your own plan. Rahab could definitely not save herself in this situation. Neither can we. We have a Savior from the outside who comes in, rescues us, takes us out, and gives us instructions to follow. Part three, the going out and the walking. Rahab walked out. It's a new life. You know, if we guess what her life would have been like? Certainly not one of hope. Certainly not one of a real future, especially when Jericho began to be shut up in fear. God did an extraordinary thing in redeeming Rahab. And that is the story of what he does for us. He had a plan for her that was beyond her imagining. There's a wonderful verse in Ephesians 3.20, for God can do more abundantly than we can imagine or think. Never in Rahab's wildest dreams would she have come up with this plan. She is taken out of Jericho. She marries. She marries a man named Salmon from the tribe of Judah. She has a child. The child's name is Boaz. Boaz 
is the man in Ruth. If you know the story of Ruth, the man who was the kinsman redeemer, that is Rahab's son. Think of Boaz growing up, having a mom like Rahab, knowing her story, and how that played into his embracing Ruth to come in. God does so much through this. All right. Boaz was the grandfather of King David. How cool is that? Sort of means like Rahab was the grandmother, right? And we know that generations later, who came out of that same line but Jesus? Rahab is one of four women mentioned. It's not because she did anything magnificent. It's not because she had a stellar resume. It's because she stepped out in faith. She welcomed in the unfamiliar, the new concept. She switched allegiance. We do that on a one-time thing, but we do it daily too. As I have an uncle that likes to say, our hearts are idle factories in 24-hour production. And we are always being, you've heard that, being sort of tempted to put our security in something else. Recognize, if you're afraid to go and follow that call, ask yourself why. Ask yourself, what is it I'm afraid to give up? What is it I'm afraid might happen? One of the great stories, I'm going to jump ahead to the New Testament just because I love this illustration. You know this story so well, you hear it all the time. It's Peter getting out of the boat when there's a storm, deciding he wants to walk. All right, that's the picture of a big risk taker. Maybe a little foolish, but he does it. And he says, if it is you, bid me to come to you. If you care, it's in Matthew 14, but you don't need to turn there. Jesus said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Uh, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then, By the way, uh, the disciples had been told to get in the boat and go to the other side. They were following instructions. Jesus had said, go, I'll catch up with you later somehow. They didn't really, I don't think this is what they expected. So Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus. Okay, He, he heard the call, his allegiance. He got out of the boat. That all goes in with what we're talking about with taking risk. When he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. We know that. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And then the next sentence, I think, is one that gets sort of overlooked. It says, when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Have you ever thought about that? So Peter is out in, the bo- out in the waves. He starts to sink. Jesus picks him up. The wind is still going. They have to get back to the boat. And I think about how true to life that is. We are walking with Jesus, but it's still stormy and it's still windy and we're not yet in the boat. It doesn't immediately get better. Rahab is rescued out. But Rahab will have at least... Seven years of walking with these people as they conquer the land. Battles. She will see them make bad decisions and lose battles. She will see them trust the Lord and there will be successes. 
And she's doing all of this as she's becoming part of their family, like the little children were singing, Welcome into the family of God. I thought about Rahab this morning as they welcomed her in. So when we make this decision, yes, Lord, I'm willing to step off this cliff because actually I know that I'm not going by myself. You are with me. Even if it's going to continue to be dark and scary, even if I'm staying in Jericho for a while, or even after we get out of Jericho and I'm living with the battles, you are there. So you follow that. You're going out to the new life. We know that to the land I show you is actually what the Lord said to Abraham. Go, go Abraham. Go to the land I will show you. Now, we as women don't like that. We want much more detail about where we're being called. God doesn't really much think it's very important to give us a whole lot of detail. And I've decided there are a couple reasons for that. One is if we know his plan, we will say, great. If I said, great, I'll take it from here. Let you know if I need you. Or we'll say, good start. I'll tweak it. I know some ways we can improve this. <laughs> or we'll say, forget it. <laughs> so he sort of says, trust me. Walk with me. I am with you. Step by step. When you see the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, move out. You guys, we are not called to be cowards. We are called to step out in whatever way he has for us. And I told you two weeks ago, my friend at work gave me the uh, CD. Somebody knew it. You did. You did. Jenny Owens. And it's, um, she's actually a blind musician. And the title song is, God says to us, if you want the ride of your life, get in. I'm driving. And that's pretty much where we are. It will be the ride of your life. All right, so you go. There's no guarantee of the outcome. Just because you're following God's call does not in any way mean it's going to look successful. And if you've lived long enough, you know that's true. Okay. It could be successful from his point of view. It will be successful from his point of view. He is about something much, much greater. Then, as Oswald Chambers says, we see the arrow miss the target. What we don't understand is God is aiming at a target that is out of our line of vision and it hits it dead center. So follow him out. Um, what happened to Rahab? Well, as I told you, mid-14th century Jericho, um, she was rescued. Joshua 6.25, the writer says, she is living amongst us to this day. Love that. So she made her home there. She was given a family there. She probably was there when Joshua died and issued the last instructions that Joshua said, Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorite in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Rahab would have heard all this. I think she must have been a profound encouragement to the people as they were taking possession of the land. You know if you have ever been around somebody that is a new believer and is captivated by what the whole gospel message brings to them, what an encouragement is to you. If you've walked 
as a Christian since you were, you know, in utero, like I was. It, it's so amazing to have somebody say, Fran, this is the coolest message I've ever heard, that I am forgiven for everything. I have been cleansed. I have been accepted. I am loved. That Jesus has done all that for me. I think that's what Rahab would have done for them, saying, do you know how good this is? All right. Other little anachronyms, and then I'll tell you a little bit about my story, but faith, F-A-I-T-H, this would have been Rahab, forsaking all, I trust him. That's what you are called to do. It doesn't mean walk out on your marriage. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, I will suggest that following this may mean miracles happen in your marriage or in your job or in your circumstances. Forsaking all, I trust Him, not everything else. Everything else. Then the next part of that is finding all, I thank Him. You've got to let go before you can be brought in. And I, I talked about this years ago when I was talking about my trip to China. You, you're called out and you're cut off and you're drawn in. You have to leave some things behind. You have to say, I'm not going to serve that king anymore. Forsaking all, I trust him. Finding all, I thank him. The story of Rahab reminds us that Jesus came deliberately and intentionally to save the unworthy. She's a woman like we are. We're nothing all that I mean, we don't deserve to be saved, any one of us. But he came to save her. The spies probably thought their job was to scope out Jericho. I kind of wonder if it was more than that. If it was to find Rahab and to be able to make a way for Rahab to be saved. So, welcome, switch, wait, and go. In some ways, we're still in Jericho. In another sense, we're already set free. We have an unlikely Savior with an unlikely call. We have the promise of new life as adopted members of his family. It's a risk to say yes. It's a far greater risk to say no. Um, Psalm 86 means the world to me if I had to have one, and it's a relatively new one in my life. But I think I put it at the bottom of the handout. Okay. I think this could have been Rahab's words. Uh, not literally, but it would have been her song. It's mine. You are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart. Another translation says, Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all my whole heart. I will glorify your name forever, for great is your steadfast love for me, for you have delivered me from the depths of the grave. That's what my other translation says. Uh, Last fall, this is just probably why this has come to mean so much to me. Catelyn and I decided through this long series of certain events to invest in this little company. It made no sense. There were a lot of people I didn't ask because I knew that's what they would tell me. Uh, and we prayed and prayed and that the door would close and it, all I can tell you is, ladies, it made no sense. But um, part, partly it did make sense. And we moved through it and as I was praying, I have to tell you, 
there have been a few times in my life that I have felt very clearly something I was supposed to do. And this was one of them. It makes no sense. I have no background in this. It is a manufacturing plant. I got my master's in theological studies three years ago. But where it... And I can give you more details later if you ever want to know, but it became so clear it was where I was meant to be. This whole thing has been an adventure for us. I now spend 45 to 50 hours a week in running a manufacturing plant with 34 employees over in West out there. That's where I go. I love my people in this plant. There are people I would have never have met ever. It is where I am meant to be, and I have affirmation of that on a day-to-day basis with some of the people I am in. It's my ministry. What have I expected it? Never. Am I trained for it? No. Did I argue with God? Yes. All of those things. The day of closing, the day of closing was December 9th, also happened to be the day that we buried my mother-in-law. We had a lot going on, and my son was getting married 10 days later. So the big, big December for us. I was up in the morning and um, just having that pit in your stomach of, okay, Lord, really? Uh -uh." And it was early because we had to be at the attorney's office at 7 a.m. in order to close on this business in order to be in Tuscaloosa for the funeral later that day. So it was an early, early morning. And I'm up and I'm at my kitchen table. It's kind of dark outside and I'm thinking, Lord, (laughs) could, could you just kind of, let me know that you're there, that this really is, you know, it's the remember the deeds. We are stepping off a big cliff here, and I need to know you're with me, and I need to know this is you, because I do not want to do this if this is not you. Some of you may know the little devotional, Jesus Calling. I didn't bring it with me. I forgot. But it's a, I'm sure they have it in the bookstore. It's one of these day-to-day readings thing. And a couple that had stayed with us for Faith Alive had given it to me. And I happened to have it on a bookshelf, and I happened to see it. And I thought, I pulled it off, and I opened to December 9th. And this is how I want to close, because I want you to hear it. You'll, You'll hear how it came to me, but I want you to hear it as words for you, wherever you are in your life. Take it in. Store it up. It says, Be willing to go out on a limb with me. If that is where I am leading you, it is the safest place to be. Your desire to live a risk-free life is a form of unbelief. Your longing to live close to me is at odds with your attempts to minimize risk. You are approaching a crossroads in your journey. In order to follow me wholeheartedly, you must relinquish your tendency to play it safe. Let me lead you step by step through this day. Through this day. If your primary focus is on me, you can walk along perilous paths without being afraid. Eventually, you will learn to relax and enjoy the adventure of our journey together. As long as you stay close to me, my sovereign presence protects you wherever you go. Do not miss it, ladies. 
Be willing to step out if you're sensing. If you're sensing a call, pursue it. Just say, Lord, let me hear you. Talk to each other. Confirm His call. But don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss what He is going to do through you. There is nothing more thrilling than watching God at work. And if you are right there, then that's what you get to see. You see His provision. You experience His provision. And the blessings are beyond what you can imagine. Rahab never saw her grandson, King David. She certainly could not have anticipated Jesus. I'm sure now she does. But God is about something far bigger. I'm out at this plant. It may fall tomorrow, but it's okay because I'm there for something that is His design. It is far bigger than what we know. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your entire story is one of coming in and rescuing. And it's rescuing love and it's rescuing from, but it's rescuing in order that, Lord. Help us to follow you. Help us to know your love. Teach us your way, O Lord, that we can walk in your truth. Give us undivided hearts that we will fear your name and we will thank you, O Lord our God, with all our hearts and glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love towards us, for you have delivered us from the depths of the grave. In Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen.